love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Alyssa Gadeski and I'm here with Haley Chura, my co-host. And Haley, we are midway through the month of January now. How is training going? I know you are racing coming up kind of soon. We Well, we're both racing in March, but yours is first and yours is faster. And So I'm curious, like, what is life like for you right now? What's going on out there? Yeah, I'm in the thick of it. I guess I've been back to structured training for a couple of weeks and it's been going okay. I mean, this is definitely the part of the year that's a little bit uncomfortable for me because I feel like we, you know, it, it is, uh, I want to be at my best, hopefully in October. So, you know, I'm trying to, you know, get some fitness back. Um, but also remember that I just took a break and that I want to be my best in, you know, nine months. And so I'm trying to allow the fitness to come back, not rush it. Um, have some grace with myself when I don't make the intervals, which I think did happen today in one of my bike sessions. And also just understand that like, you know, these, consistency and staying healthy is the key right now. So, um, you know, it's been okay, but our weather here in Bozeman has actually been really nice. I know that the rest of the country, probably I shouldn't be saying this, but, um, cause I think everyone else has had terrible weather, but, uh, or what they're used to, but it's been, I mean, we have snow, but it has been fairly warm for here. I mean, in like the 30 degree Fahrenheit, which for me is pretty warm and just, really, I mean, I I'm on the trainer, our roads are covered in snow. So I'm on the trainer, but again, that's the expectation and I've just been, you know, enjoying it. So, uh, things are, are going as well as they could. And I am, I'm training for clash Miami, which is March 10th. I believe I, I, it's something like that. Um, and then, then, um, uh, nine days later, I think I'm going to race uh, challenge Puerto Varas in Chile, the race I did last year. So that will be a little bit different. I don't do a lot of doubles, but I think, uh, this one just sounded fun to me. And there are two races. I've never raced Miami. That one scares me a little bit from the heat and humidity and having watched that last year and how much carnage there was, but I love the clash races and it's sort of on the way to Chile. And so I, uh, figured why not, but how about you? Um, I mean, we talked about your March marathon and, uh, I, you were just at camp, but I, I, I think I followed some of your, your, your posts and it did look like the weather hit you there. Yeah, we were definitely in that section of the country that was not getting their typical, uh, nice weather. And so it wasn't, it wasn't too bad, but it certainly was not the standard SoCal sunshine, uh, that they get in January, but, uh, we definitely made the best of it. And we, for the most part, we had, we had some rough, rough weather, like patches, but then we also had totally fine weather at some time. So it wasn't like it was, you know, nonstop there for us at least. And the campers, I have to definitely give a shout out to them. I mean, 20 humans all came in and 
you know, I think we all had in our heads that this was going to be sunshine and smiles and Southern California, like training to get, to get into. And it definitely, you know, could have been if the chemistry of the campers had allowed it, um, like, you know, people could have gotten pretty down and negative and it could have been really hard to get through some of the long days. Cause you know, we, we have nothing else to do but train for at the training camp. Right. So we were out there in the weather when it called for it and, but everyone Haley was in such good moods, like all the time, it was a testament to definitely how that group dynamic can like make, uh, things so much better. Right. Uh, misery loves company, I guess, even, you know, when it was really pretty bad, but um, it, because everyone was kind of taking it in stride and just like, you know, smiling through the rain and stuff like that. Uh, it definitely made our job as coaches easy because, you know, we just kind of reminded them that like, yeah, we also have to race in any conditions. And even though we would have loved to have been kind of working on our tan or getting some more vitamin D out there, like getting some of that mental toughness and kind of being in that space is also really a valuable experience, right? So I don't think many people voluntarily put their hands up for it, but when it happens, you know, you embrace it and make the best of it. And so that's what we did. So, um, yeah, five days of, of big training. We got in some good rides. Um, I got to, let's see, I got to ride some new roads out there, which is always fun. Um, and, how was riding that much? I, I just, I know you're training for a marathon. So I think a lot of your, the bulk of your training recently has been more run focused. How, how was jumping into a lot of riding? Cause I assume you did as a, even as a coach, you were doing some, some pretty big bike miles, maybe some swim miles that are not exactly what you've been doing in the weeks leading up to it. How, how was attending a triathlon camp while training for a marathon? Do you recommend it? Yeah, I didn't mind it. So I you know, we had a range of ride options and I was generally riding on the shorter end of the range. So, um, you know, the first night we did in the afternoon, like a 25, 30 mile kind of easy ride on the coast. So not a lot of elevation. Uh, you know, if you've ever ridden, uh, or I guess run, like we, we rode a lot of the Oceanside run course, um, actually. So pretty flat and, you know, even I could pedal that at least. And then the second day, I rode with the group that did a 40 mile ride, which had quite a bit of climbing. So it had like over 5,000 feet of climbing because we did climb up Mount Palomar and kind of loop back around and come back. Um, but you know, that was totally doable. I've been, uh, doing three and four hour rides. And then on the big ride day, we were going for a hundred miles. We ended up stopping at 80, like 80, I think because of the weather, um, and I was definitely feeling like I hadn't sat on my bike that long. Uh, but I like, I love that feeling of getting to a training camp and your phone's in your pocket. You're not like, you have literally nothing else on your schedule except to do the training that day. Like, I, I love that feeling. It's, you know, it reminds me of like when I am doing an FKT or something and it's like, I get to start and like, I just, I don't anything to do except for like hike the next mile, right. Run the next mile, do whatever. And so even though it's uncomfortable and things like that, like, I don't know, I live for those moments. So I was all in on that. And then, and it's really fun because, you know, I got to see a handful of my athletes that I had actually never met in person. And so, I mean, you know, that's always so valuable to like have eyeballs on these people and 
you know, not only get to know them as humans more, but then also kind of see them executing workouts. And that just like goes into the brain bank for kind of crafting the season ahead, which is, um, really, really valuable as a coach too. So I don't think I would, I'm not like putting my hand up to continue riding a lot, but it was nice. It was fine. (laughs) I mean, three to four hour rides while marathon training is still pretty solid. I mean, that's, uh, that definitely is, I mean, not nothing like, so I guess, uh, you went into it with some fitness bike fitness. Um, I, we talked a little bit before we started recording about your travel because, uh, in the mainstream news, there's been so much travel news lately. And so I was curious because you were flying all the way across the country. Did things go smoothly? Did you get caught up in any of the outages? Did your luggage make it? Did you, did you fly with a bike? So I didn't fly with a bike because, um, Hillary and I are the same size and I can just ride her bike. So, um, that actually makes life really easy. So I was able to, there's actually one bike that Hillary and Mike own that fits Mike. If it's Hillary and if it's me and none of it, whenever we get on it, we just ride it as it is. No one ever touches the like adjustments, the saddle height, like nothing gets changed on it. Everyone I mean, I'm picturing Mike 12 stick right now. And I feel like, <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I, it's like leg length and Hillary's leg length. I I'm like, I know you have, I would say you're in the middle between them. Um, I, I is Mike riding a clown bike when he's riding this bike? I mean, I don't see how this happens. I agree. It doesn't sound feasible, but it's like the sisterhood of the traveling pants, except for the bike. And we just go with it because I think it's he's, great. he's adjusting the, um, the saddle <laughs> when you're not looking. Maybe. I mean, he claims he's not, I I really think he says he's not, but, um, but anyway, so I didn't have to travel with a bike, which made it good, but I did have to check a bag because all the things, right. You need for, for five days of training. And so, and with the weather, I had to bring like a lot of layers. So, um, but my bag, everything I did opt to fly because I was basically from San Diego to Boston. It's like the opposite corners of the, the entire United States. So, um, I tried to fly direct this time and not have a layover. And that was nice because, because it's direct. Um, but, and I had no issues. Let's see on the way out. I was flying that day that we had the like ground, all the flights were grounded. Oh, FAA outage. Yes. Right? So I was, I left last Wednesday and my flight was at like 6 PM or something, let's say. And then I had a swim, a run and my ski lessons and a strength session before I was going to like go fly. So my day was like packed. Right. So I was in the zone all morning, like, you know, doing my workouts, whatever, bouncing, packing the last of the things. And I get a text from my mom and she's like, is your flight on? And I was like, oh no, what's going on? And of course I like pull up Twitter and I'm like, oh my God, the flights are grounded. This is like not good. But I was like, well, I guess I'm just not going to worry about it. So I didn't worry about it and it ended up being fine. Um, I wasn't even delayed. And then on the way home, we did, we had like a random plane electrical thing that gave us a little bit of a delay, but nothing bad. So I too have heard a lot of horror stories, but my last couple of experiences traveling have been pretty good, except for good. Having the, mid- the middle seat on the red eye, which I don't think Oof. anyone should ever have to endure and then have to be like a human the next day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is a little rough, but I'm glad everything went relatively smooth and, um, I hope that continues through 2023. What, what a good start to the year. And, um, while you were gone, we did get a couple mailbag questions mm-hmm. and I think we're going to answer one today, right? 
Yes. Yes. So this comes in from Megan and they are wondering about, um, heart rate. So they have a heart rate question here. So they got a heart rate chest strap monitor for Christmas and are wondering about when we do zone two training, where are we aiming to be in the range? So for instance, if your zone two range is 125 to 140 beats per minute, do you try and stay close to the low 125 end or try to push to the high end at 140 um, or aim for the middle? So it's a good question. And Haley, I will let you run with this one because you are the heart rate trainer, trainer, trainee, I do. trainer, and trainee between the two of I us. I love heart rate. I do. I always aim for the lowest end of the range. <laughs> always. No, maybe not always, but especially this time of year, low end, low end, low Z2 aim for that 125. I mean, I, I would say 124 counts, 123 counts. Like, um, that is honestly probably where, where I would probably, um, be targeting. And so I, I aim for like the easiest possible, uh, scenario. And ideally when you start doing that, that pace is going, you know, whether you're on the bike or you're running is going to be pretty slow. Probably it probably is going to be uncomfortably slow, but if you keep doing it, I think, you know, it depends on the person, how long it takes, but hopefully after a few weeks that you can stick to that same 125 number. And, um, you know, when your pace is significantly faster. And so when you start like moving toward the upper end of the range, I think is more of, uh, when you're doing actually harder sessions. So that's when I would, if I'm doing like a tempo workout, um, that is when I will, I will try to aim in the beginning for the low end. And I will allow myself to kind of let the heart rate get higher toward the higher end as like the workout goes on, because I find that happens sort of naturally as I get dehydrated, because it is really hard to like stay hydrated when you're going hard. And, um, also usually I get hot, um, which is a, one of the reasons I bring a fan to the gym, uh, is because it hope it helps a little bit with that heart rate drift, but in general, low end stick to the low end. I love it. I love it. And I think, um, you know, also I feel like when I was reading this question, it made me think about like, yes, you're using heart rate, but also don't overthink it. Right. So like, it's okay to kind of experiment a little bit and see kind of each end of it. Right. And see how it feels. But then at the end of the day, maybe look at the session and kind of get in the habit of trying to kind of see what the point of the session is, right? Is this a very easy recovery day for you? And you're doing an easy 5k, right? And so if that's the case, right, keep easy, easy, right? I always say that. And like, um, like Haley said, 123 would count 124 would count, right? And so if, you know, and if you got into a situation where your zone two still didn't feel kind of quite right, like, that's okay, right? Make the notes in your log and, and kind of you know, it doesn't always have to be super precise. And I think I've seen a lot of variability. I know whenever I've worn a heart rate strap, um, and also with some of my athletes. So I think it's just, it's important to like, continue to not get, don't get overwhelmed by that too. That's my two cents with it. Megan, thank you for the question. Good luck with your new Christmas president heart, heart rate monitor chest strap. 
and uh, hopefully you have a great 2023 season. And if anyone else has questions, they can write into our mailbag, ironwomanpodcast at gmail.com. And Haley, we have been hard at work getting some really good interviews for people lined up, right? Who are we talking to today? Yeah. So this week we're chatting with another relative newcomer to the pro triathlon scene, Grace Alexander. So Grace grew up swimming in the Atlanta area. She actually competed in a few Iron Kids races in her youth, and she swam collegiately for Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida, before returning to Atlanta and immersing herself in the Atlanta triathlon scene that, you know, I I love so much. We do talk about that. And Grace had a really, really spectacular age group career before turning pro in 2021. And 2022, though, was a really breakthrough year for her. She won her first pro race at the, what is nearly a hometown race for her, Augusta 70.3. She raced in the inaugural PTO US Open in Dallas. She raced in the 70.3 World Championships in St. George and most recently Clash Daytona. So we talked to Grace about her stellar 2022 and her plans for 2023. We'll have that conversation right after a break. Hi, Grace. Welcome to the Iron Woman podcast. Thanks, Haley. I'm excited to be here. So I've known you for a little while now. We both spent time in Atlanta. We share a coach and I'm actually really embarrassed to say that I had totally missed a really important stat in your career until I was preparing for this interview. And that was in November, 2020. You took the overall that's men and women age group win at Gulf coast 70.3. So I, I was reading a couple of articles and it wasn't like completely clear, but are you officially the only age group woman to have outright crossed the finish line first at an Ironman branded event? Um, that's what they said. I think uh, there was a little bit of confusion um, originally because I guess there has been a pro woman that's won when there's been an amateur man and female race, but I guess technically I'm the first amateur female to win overall male and female amateur, if that makes sense. (laughs) Were you first across the line? I know there's like always like, you know, a self-seeding issue a little bit with like, uh, the swim start. So were you actually like first person across the line? Like, did you know you had won overall? Uh, I was the first person across the line. Um, but this was like the first pro post COVID race that they had. So we were doing the, uh, staggered starts. So when I crossed the finish line and they had a tape for me to, to grab when I crossed the finish line, um, I still ha- didn't believe that I had won the race because, you know, there's someone that could have started behind me that is still racing faster and they just didn't catch up all the way maybe. But yeah, I did cross the finish line first. And then about five minutes later, they confirmed that I had completely won the race. And that's where like the disbelief came in. I was still just not sure if I believed it. <laughs> yeah, that is like, go ahead, Haley. Oh, I was going to say, what was, was there a reaction from the crowd? Because the first person across was a woman. Uh, I got a lot of reaction from the volunteers that were working the finish line with it being like post COVID and still COVID times. There wasn't a lot of people at the finish line. I think they actually completely kept people out of the immediate finish area. But as I walked away from the finish line and started seeing people. They were congratulating me and had had overheard that I had won. Yeah, that's definitely a very special distinction. And 
the people who didn't miss you having that accomplishment were the folks in the sports media office at your alma mater, Rollins College in Florida. So first, can you tell us about growing up as a swimmer and then racing at Rollins? Yeah, so I grew up, I wouldn't say I was really a swimmer because I never swam me around. Um, I did summer league swimming starting at the age of six, which takes about six weeks of the year. Um, so I would do that from age six all the way till I started college. Um, but I actually did year round running in middle school and then was a three sport athlete in high school. So I did cross country swimming and track. Um, and I got just good enough swimming in high school to walk onto the Rollins team. Um, and with high school swimming, the longest distance you can go is 500 yards. And, um, when I went to college, the plan was to stay a middle distance, 200, 500 middle distance swimmer. Um, but then when my coach decided to throw me into my first distance event, the thousand, I had no idea how to race that long. So I just approached it as two separate 500s and kind of just took out the first one steady, strong. And then like, once I hit that 500 flip turn, I just took off. And that really worked out well for me. I went from like last place to fighting for second place. And so throughout the rest of the four years in college, that's how I raced my distance events, the thousand and the mile. Um, but I really enjoyed swimming at Rollins. The coach and I got along really well. And um, he actually came to watch me at Clash Daytona because he lives in Daytona. So that was really special to have him out there. Yeah, it seems like it must be a really special place if, you know, the college is still celebrating your triathlon results and writing articles six years after graduation. So is your swim coach kind of the link that's like kept the, you know, the college in the loop with, with what you've gone on to do? Um, I think so. Uh, actually there was... <laughs> or there's some other little messenger kind of giving them tidbits along the way, huh? Yeah. Cause I think he was the link originally, but he did retire not too long ago. So I don't know who's getting the word now. <laughs> it's obviously, uh, you made an impression there. So I am curious though, when, when your coach came to clash Daytona and I think you, I think you mentioned you even got to meet up with him, maybe have lunch. Um, is he surprised that you're still competing at such a high level? Yeah. I mean, in college, I by no means had intentions of going pro or being an elite athlete. Um, looking back, I think that if I, I knew what it take to be an elite athlete and applied that to my college career, I probably would have been a lot better of an athlete. Um, but he's definitely surprised that this is the route that I've kind of taken and obviously proud of it. So um, it was good to catch up and hear him just, or both of us just discuss the good times in college and how it was unexpected to be here now. <laughs> what did he think of the race in Daytona? He liked it. I mean, obviously that course is super spectator friendly. Um, he's used to me posting my results on Facebook and seeing like, Oh, one of the top few out of the water. And obviously at that race, there was a lot of very talented swimmers. So, you know, I wanted to get that first out of the water for him, but with, with you and, uh, a few of the other short course athletes just blowing away out of the water. He, uh, he didn't get to see that, but it was still like fun to see him every single lap on the bike and run 
um, just cheering. And you were up and- there. You were up there on that swim. I mean, it was fast, but you were up there. I mean, he should be proud, especially when you hear the stats of uh, some of those women. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're comparing yourself to some of the best triathletes in the world. So, you know, you got to take it as it is. Definitely. Definitely. And Grace, we talked to a lot of the newer long course pros about their paths to kind of how they got into professional triathlon and really qualified. And most Americans qualify with the top three amateur finish at a race with a pro field and a large prize prize purse, usually an Ironman event, but you took a slightly different route and you finished on the overall podium at USAT age group nationals representing team USA at the world triathlon age group world championships in Australia and Switzerland. These mm-hmm. short cor- these are like short course, non-drafting age group world championship festivals. And they're super popular and we actually don't talk about them probably nearly as much as we should on the, the podcast here. So can you kind of tell us about that experience? Like racing on, at those events? Yeah. And just like the festivals in general, like kind of, you know, yeah. Like what's the, is it, a, what's the atmosphere? Like, what are the races like that sort of thing? Yeah. So I went to Australia, like you said, and then Switzerland the year after for the short course, non-draft legal world championships. And it was, it was an, uh, like an amazing experience, especially Australia being the first one. Um, I mean, the days leading up to that, you get there like a week before your race. So you start to get a feel for the area. The athletes are starting to come in. You go to some of the training areas that these elite world-class athletes are training at because not only is it an amateur event, but there's also professionals there. So you see the people that you're following on Instagram or look up to just like training right next to you. Um, and you get super expo- inspired and they also race um, the day or two before we race. So you see all of the amateurs that have qualified to be there out there supporting the pros. And this is the world championship world championship series for them. So it's, it's really the best of the best in the pro short course field. And so seeing them and like racing on the same course as them was really special. What about representing team USA? I know I grew up as swimmer and that's always like a major, major goal, you know, to in swimming is to make that Olympic team have the team USA gear. And what was it like to, to be on team USA as a triathlete? Yeah, the Team USA gear was definitely a highlight. I think everyone looks forward to putting that kit on. Um, So getting your name across it with the Team USA colors. And then, you know, if you have individual sponsors, you can get those printed on the kit as well. And it just makes you feel like you belong there and that you're part of this Team USA. And everyone gets not only the kit, but a lot of people get the T-shirts and the jackets. And so you see people walk in the streets in this foreign country to you and they're wearing team USA stuff. And it's like an immediate bond with each other. And then they have like the, the parade of nations and um, team USA is all clumped together, walking in this March with, you know, other countries represented in front and behind you. And it's just a really good way to get this triathlon community of elite age groupers together in a, in a new country and really celebrate the sport. 
I know that sometimes uh, people will go to these, you know, because they are festivals, a multi-day, multi-event. They have sprint distance and Olympic distance and um, like aqu aquathon and, you know, just a bunch of different events. Did you ever do multiple events or were you focused on the Olympic distance? Olympic triathlon? distance, because I, I qualified and was tempted to do the sprint, but that's draft legal. So you have to bring two bikes and I wasn't about to bring a tri bike and a road bike over there. And since I wanted to be competitive in the Olympic distance, I didn't want to just like slap aero bars on my road bike. So I just focused on the Olympic and the idea of flying halfway across the world to race for an hour just wasn't as appealing. <laughs> Everyone says that, but I once went to uh, Turkey and I raced a 200 backstroke. So I raced for like two minutes. <laughs> I did have prelims and finals, but still it was like, then people be like, oh, how would I go that far for a one hour? I'm like, one hour seems like a lot of time. <laughs> that's that's a good point and I mean you think about the people that race the 100 meter in the Olympics yeah. it's yeah yeah under 10 seconds yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't blame them um Grace you took your pro license in 2021 with the intention to compete primarily in non-draft middle distance and at the time I believe you'd only raced two age group 70.3s so did you do those 70.3s I mean we mentioned the one at Gulf Coast did you just like automatically know the half distance was for you? No. And I still don't know if I know that. Um, <laughs> I raced Texas 70.3 uh, Galveston in 2019. Um, and I'll never forget crossing that finish line, going up to my coach and just saying to him, like, I never want to do that again. And then shortly after that, I broke my collarbone. So the 2019 season was pretty rough there. Um, but once I completed Gulf Coast 2020, um, that was kind of like the seal, the deal that I, I should probably go pro next year. And honestly, if they had shorter races that were non-draft legal, like these clash races, um, I really like that distance. Just being able to go a little bit faster for a shorter amount of time, I'm a big fan of. Um, but obviously, the Olympic distance is a little too short and it's more draft legal. So I'm still figuring it out and hope these like clash races and PTO events keep emerging. Cause I like that sweet spot in between 70.3 and Olympic. And during your first pro season, you qualified and raced in the 2021 70.3 world championships in St. George, and you finished in 20th place. So do you think the early career world championship experience kind of helped you reach more performance milestones in 2022? Like, do you think you were able to see that next level of racing that really put you ahead for the next season? Um, honestly, that result from worlds wasn't very exciting for me, just in terms of like my time and what I thought I could do on that course. Um, that year was a little weird, just since a lot of pros couldn't really get there with COVID still being an issue. But I think it was a good way to test myself with the best in the world and see what I needed to do in 2022 to make improvements and to kind of step my game up um, and be realistic about where I'm, I'm at in the field. And Grace, you and I, we are both coached by Matthew Rose from Dino Multisport out of Atlanta. And 
I think this is a relatively uh, recent coaching move for you. So can you tell us about making a coaching switch, even when it seems like you are racing well and you are improving, like what, what goes into that decision? And also what do you think about Matthew? Can we like talk some, uh, <laughs> talk some dirt on him while we're, uh, while I have you here? Are you going to tell him that we're doing a podcast or? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I like, I was like, oh, I asked him, I was like, what should I ask Grace about? And he's like, ask her what she thinks of me. No, actually, I'm just kidding. We did not have that conversation. I just want to know. I like, uh, you know, I like hearing because again, I've been working with Matthew since, you know, forever. I think I, I did say, he said that once I'm like, I was working. He's like, I think I've been working with you since before Grace was born. And I don't think it's been quite that bad, but um, he could tell you some dirt on me. So I don't know. I have nothing to lose here. <laughs> well, I guess with starting the coaching switch, um, I'd kind of decided mid last year that I probably wanted to go a different route in 2022. Um, I, I sensed the feeling of like burnout coming and I just didn't want to, you know, flirt too much with those feelings. So once my season ended in 2021, um, I actually self-coached for about four to five months while I interviewed other coaches, decided if I wanted to self-coach. Um, I actually had a call with Jackie Herring, super awesome, was willing to hop on the phone with me because I knew or I found out that she was self-coached and I just wanted to pick her brain a little bit about what it was like for her and if she obviously enjoyed it. Um, so after talking to a few coaches, um, yeah, I settled on, um, Matt Rose. I thought we had talked a few times and each time I just felt a lot of comfort after the conversation and just like, he's very relaxed, you know, triathlon isn't like, uh, the world in his view, you know, it's just like a part of the person, which I really appreciated because he obviously cares a lot about, his athletes and not just their performance, but like how they are, how they're doing. Um, and he just seemed like someone who looked at the whole person versus just performances. So, um, although I was improving in 2021, I just didn't see myself going to keep improving at like a steady rate if I had stayed. So, I just took a leap of faith kind of, and went with my gut and decided to switch it up. And I'm very grateful I did because Matt's been great. And I, I really enjoy working with him, talking to him and he's super supportive and listens to, listens to me and the changes that I think might help and is good at telling me when I'm wrong <laughs> and like, you know, being like a third party to look at something, um, and kind of leaves the the possibilities open with training as opposed to just being a very narrow-minded focus. Well, now I'm going to make him listen to that. That was quite nice. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully he gives Haley the same options. Otherwise she's going to be like, I want options, Matthew. I want options. <laughs> I'm so old. Kidding, I'm like, I everything is optional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Grace, you and Haley, um, also both got your start in triathlon in Atlanta, though, like we've talked about maybe a few years apart. Um, and Atlanta has, you know, a reputation for Hills and humidity and a lot of traffic, but it also has a very vibrant endurance sports community. I've been down to visit and that is definitely the truth. So 
What do you think it is that makes Atlanta and the tri community in particular, such a great launching pad for elite triathletes coming out of there? Um, I mean, it's a huge, huge city, obviously. So the more people that are just in a place, I think you find more triathletes. Um, and there's also a good, there's a lot of different teams and they all kind of intermingle and, um, are friends with each other. And there's, not many places to train in Atlanta, like safely, especially if you're trying to do like bike workouts. Um, and so everyone goes to those same places to do their workouts. So you get to meet a lot of the other athletes. And I think that's a big part of the Atlanta community is just seeing the same people doing their workouts on the same training routes um, over and over again, you get to talking and then, you know, you meet people that are a little bit better than you, you start training with them, you improve. And there's a lot of talent in Atlanta, I think. And so not only in the triathlon community, but also in swim, bike, run individually. So even branching out of triathlon and just going to group rides with pure cyclists or going to swim with pure swimmers, um, you know, you really have an opportunity to improve as a triathlete there. I miss it. Um, and I think you do too, because I think in 2022, you made a mid season move from Atlanta to Somerville, South Carolina, which is near Charleston and the Atlantic coast. Um, I actually also have spent some time in Somerville and I know that it is quite different from Atlanta terrain wise, especially. So was it hard to adapt your training situation and find new routes and new training partners after you moved? Yeah. I mean, I didn't know anyone here when I moved really. Um, and so going into the move, I just accepted the fact that the first month was going to be very difficult and to be flexible. So even going into the move, I talked with Matt and like, we discussed that and we decided to go into a month of maintenance mode essentially. So it allowed for more flexibility with my training. Um, and I was able to explore more places. And so far, I mean, with the swimming here is great. There's a pool 10 minutes away that was built in 2020 and it's a great training facility for swimming. Um, so I'm very lucky with that. Um, the biking I think is also good. It's just flat. Um, you know, I have routes within 20 minutes of me that I can go ride. I can ride from the door if I want. It's not like something I would go do regularly or for a workout. Um, but I think, you know, besides it being flat as a pancake, it's, it's definitely, it's been fun to explore another city, I think, and get to know more triathlon communities. And your focus for the fall 2022 season, it looked like it was going to be Augusta 70.3 and then 70.3 world championships. But then you ended up earning a wild card slot to the inaugural PTO US Open in Dallas. So can you talk us through the wild card application process? How you found out you made it? Like how much time did you have? And was that race like did that kind of go up in the priorities? Because like you've talked about that distance is just so appealing to you. Yeah. So I had no idea that I was even a potential athlete to race that event. Um, I didn't apply for anything. I, I did apply to, um, be part of the PTO the year before or when I became pro. Um, and I just woke up 
on a Thursday morning, I remember, to an email saying that I had received a slot to race there. And I immediately text my coach, Matthew, and I'm like, is this legit? Is it a scam? Like, what's <laughs> going on? Because <laughs> it was, I wasn't ranked somewhere where I thought that I would get that opportunity. So after talking to Matthew and, um, you know, I was supposed to race Augusta the weekend after. So we had to make some changes to training. And I think this was about one and a half to two weeks out from the PTO race that I found out. So um, got on Google flights, found a flight, and then um, decided to focus on that race and then put a little less focus on Augusta the next weekend, which kind of backfired in a good way. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, it was quite the opportunity to race a PTO event and I just couldn't pass it up. What was it like? Was, uh, was it, was there a lot of hubbub and was it, you know, I mean, how did it compare, I guess, to the 70.3 worlds that you'd been at the year before? Uh, that race, it was a similar experience, I guess, just compared to the 70.3 worlds the year before, because it was kind of like being starstruck when you go and see all these women that you have only seen on the internet and like followed and have looked up to for so many years. Um, and then the PTO, I think just magnifies that because it's like a very small field of very elite athletes. So racing with them and then all the hype beforehand with like the photography and the events that they had us do, it made it made you feel like a true professional and that, you know, the sport was growing and there were these opportunities to kind of make it as a pro at these events. And you finished 20th in Dallas. Uh, After that finish, was there any doubt about racing Augusta only a week later? No. um, I don't think I questioned it. The, The start line of Augusta was a lot deeper before PTO Dallas and then some of the women raced PTO Dallas and after the race in the tent I heard whispers of them deciding not to race Augusta and these women were ranked ahead of me so I was like well I wouldn't be like super against you not racing (laughs) um but no I I had always planned to do it Augusta's two hours from where I live so you, you can't pass that up And you won the race in Augusta on the run, and it was your first pro podium and first pro win. And I believe maybe the first time your parents had been at a pro race. Is that investigation part right? Okay. So do you remember how it felt to grab that tape on, like you said, almost nearly a hometown course for you with parents there, all of those feelings? Yeah, that was definitely a special race. I mean, not only having my parents there and my boyfriend there to see that, but also just knowing that I had truly dug as deep as I could to pull that win off. Um, it was, it was a great moment. And I mean, I was super happy to share it with my parents and, you know, my, my dad is, comes from a very competitive background with running. And so, um, you know, he was shouting at me the whole run course, like telling me where I am, like, you know, fix my form, all that stuff. Um, So, you know, maybe, maybe that helped me out a little bit in the end. (laughs) I will admit that, uh, I was, I was riding on Mount Lemmon that day and I was like getting all these texts because I'm like a few hours behind and, 
Um, I don't think we'd even actually met at that point, but people were like, Grace Alexander's leading Augusta. And then we were like riding. Um, I was with Lauren Palmer, a friend, and we got to like, she's like, we might have service at like Windy Point. So we're like at Windy Point, like holding the cell phone up, like trying to see if we can get service. I think that's when we found out you won. And we were like, I don't know, I was psyched and I hadn't even met you, but it's one of those things when you kind of, when you have the same coach, I'm like, okay, her training's obviously working. Now I got to go do my part and go hammer out these intervals. So, uh, that was like a random little tidbit from the other side of the country. You were definitely having an impact on, on other people as well. Yeah. Well, you had just won uh, Ironman not too long oh, yeah, before Trimont. that, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you were feeding I mean, off each I, other's wins here. <laughs> I know. For me, it was like six weeks apart. It was really close. And for you, you need like seven days. But um, but still, that was it was really, really cool. Super excited for you. Did you feel like, you know, that win in Augusta, did it add any performance pressure to the races that you had later in the season? Or was it more validation that you'd found like a good training groove and in your new hometown working out this way and like you're just on a right track? Uh, it was definitely a confidence boost. I mean, I was worried about the move to Somerville playing a role in my training and my performance. Um, so having a good result. I think really validated that it's, it's okay here. And, you know, I'm getting done what needs to be done. Um, I will say though, going on to worlds and St. George where the course is very different than Augusta, uh, that was more challenging because of the lack of elevation that I have in Somerville and the significant elevation in St. George. So also the cold, I mean, obviously Dallas, Augusta, hot, humid places and St. George was cold. I mean, do you think that is that something, do you do well in the heat? Yeah, that too. I mean, Dallas was um, also like a dry heat and I like the humidity. My mouth was unbelievably dry in Dallas, um, which is interesting because you hear people that uh, train in Colorado saying the humidity was bad in Dallas, but coming from somewhere that I'm used to 90% humidity, 50% humidity is not what I'm used to. Um, but yeah, the cold is not something I ever really train in. Um, but that, that kind of affected everyone, I think, that 30-degree cold weather. And Grace, we watched your Clash Daytona Breakfast with Bob interview, and you really held your own. So as a newer pro, you're gaining experience with every race. But what about the media side of things? And like, how do you feel about navigating those obligations that come with the sport? I'm happy that it's coming kind of gradually. Like, I haven't been inundated with um, requests to you know, be on YouTube channels or get interviews. So I think it's really helped have it be like a slow process. Um, and it definitely, I've heard other pro triathletes say, once you get to that point where you're dealing with a lot of sponsorships and media requirements, it can almost take away from your training. So I'm hoping, you know, to see improvements and, you know, get more out there, obviously, but within a certain like limit to where it's, you know, not affecting your training, obviously. Well, we're glad that, uh, you made time for us and we get to be part of that media journey. And, um, hopefully we're not impacting your training today. If so, <laughs> you can complain to Matthew and say it was my fault. Yeah. <laughs> but, that's an easy out. <laughs> yeah. And he'll be like, giving me like 300 watt things or something like that. I'll be like, no, no. Um, no, just kidding. Just kidding. I don't think he'd do that. Um, any idea of your race plans for 2023? Yeah, I have a rough draft of like the first half of the season. I'm hoping to do, or I'm signed up for Clash Miami. Um, 
driving distance southeast, so can't say no to that. And then also um, St. Anthony's, I have my eye on that. Uh, White Lake half, eye on that. And Chattanooga 70.3 again. And then waiting on Ironman to release the second half, or I might actually go do some challenge races in Europe. Ooh, fun. And hopefully PTO will announce their, uh, their calendar as well. Cause it seems like you did well there and, uh, maybe sneak into a couple more of those races as well. Your rankings up. I mean, I feel like they should, uh, they should be handing out those invitations. I hope so. I would love to race, race more with them. Well, Grace, thanks so much for taking time with us today and congratulations on last season. It was really, really solid and fun to watch unfold and best of luck here in 2023. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Alyssa, I was surprised to hear Grace talk about how even the 70.3 distance she finds long and, you know, she really enjoys the slightly shorter non-drafting Olympic distance, the 100K PTO distance, the Clash Daytona distance, which is a little, little in between, you know, 70.3 and Olympic distance. And it is kind of cool that there is a place for, for athletes like Grace in the sport right now, that you don't have to go super long. You don't have to go super short, but you can be kind of in the middle. And honestly, that's probably a very lucrative place these days. Yeah, I agree. I think it's great to see some of these like shorter races coming back. It's like a bit of a resurgence. I think you would also remember a time when, you know, they were pretty popular and then we kind of saw them drift away and now things are coming back. Right. So it is really exciting because I think that the more we can have pros racing, like the range of distances for triathlon, the better the sport of triathlon will be for the future and for, you know, amateurs and pros alike. So, um, I, we definitely want to make sure that people like grace have the options to be racing what they want to race and what, you know, they're good at racing. That's for sure. Yeah. I think she's pretty good at 70.3 too, but uh, True. <laughs> she might be good at other things, but we'll just give her the time. But anyway, thank you to grace for coming on the show. And thank you, Alyssa, for, for joining today. And I'm glad you made it back from SoCal, enjoying some of that Vermont winter, uh, <laughs> returning to that. And hopefully you get some sleep after that red eye middle seat. <laughs> you know, any, any bed is going to feel great after that. Yes, it sure will. Thanks for bearing with me while my brain was at like half speed today. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, I guess that's all. Is that all we have for everyone here? That's oh, all we have. Can, people can send in questions to the mailbag, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Have a great week, Alyssa. I'll talk to you next week. Bye, Haley. You have been listening to the Iron Women Podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Amelia Perry and produced by Ellen Etitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.